Again, we've been talking this, this week in the mornings about being an example to the believers. And we've been going through um, the different aspects of that example. And so we're going to look at a couple of other aspects of our example this morning. But first of all, kind of as a review, and for those of you that have been here all week, that I know you may get tired of hearing it, but, but for those that hadn't, we've been talking about being an example to the believers, where Paul said, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And we've talked about how that the word example means to be a model, a model that is to be imitated, but it's in a pattern. But it's not just simply a, modern, a model or a pattern, but rather it is something produced by repeated blows, hence a mark or an impression made by a harder substance on one of a softer material. And we've used the illustration of this stamp, how that we have something that is hard that is making an impression on something that is soft. In other words, when those two things come in contact, there's an impression made. There is a change that takes place in how that our example should be such that whenever people come in contact with us, that we make an impression upon them that they want to be different than they were before they interacted with us. And so whenever we talk about making an impression, again, we're not just to give a model to say, here, be like this, but our interaction with people should be such that we impress upon them that we produce an effect that we make an influence. And so in all of our life, that's what we want to do when we interact with the believers. And I think, again, as we've talked about, Paul's target here to Timothy is to be an example to the believers. We want to be an example to the world. We want to be the light of the world, the salt of the world, but we want to be examples to each other. We want to be examples to these young people. We want to be examples to every generation. And we talked about how that Paul, whenever he was talking to Timothy and describing his youth, that he was talking to Timothy at about the age 30 to 40. So we're not talking about little kids here, but we're talking about that generation so that we live to be an example to those that are behind us and we live in such a way, as Paul was talking about, to get credibility from those that are older, to prove ourselves and to show ourselves to be faithful so that whenever we speak, whenever we teach, whenever we give command, whenever we give charge, people will take us seriously. You know, I've, I've, I've had some people approach me, you know, that they want to be teachers and, and they talk about, you know, well... You know, I just can't get people to listen to me. Well, if you want to be a teacher, the success of your teaching is not in the pulpit. The success of your teaching is determined by your interaction among the people. Do the people want to hear me? And if I don't have a pattern of good works, if I'm not setting a good example, then I don't have credibility and I shouldn't expect people to listen to me. You know, it's like, it's, well, I can get up and say one thing and nobody will listen to me, but this guy will get up and he'll say the same thing and everybody seems to listen to him and respond to him. Why is that? Well, we might lack the credibility over here. We might lack the pattern. We might lack the example that's necessary to get people to take you seriously and listen to what you have to say. And so let us understand that in, in, in our attempts to teach other people we have to establish a lifestyle. We have to establish a pattern and a model so that whenever we do speak, then they're going to take seriously what we have to say. Yesterday we talked about we wanted to live in such a way that whenever people are around us, they want to talk the way that we talk. That whenever people are around us, they want to act the way that we act. This morning we want to talk about 
living an example so that whenever people are in our presence, we affect them, we influence them to want to love like we love. Now, whenever you look at the Scriptures, there's a lot said about love. There's husbands loving their wives. There's parents loving their children. There are Christians loving each other. There's the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. The Bible has a lot to say about love. But this morning, we're going to look at some verses about some people in congregations whose love impressed people. Whose love was such that whenever people were in their presence, whenever they left, they went around telling people, hey, you ought to, you ought to, you ought to see the love of those people. And you know, and that's what's impressive. That's what influences people. Whenever they're around you and your influence is so great that whenever they leave your presence, they've just got to tell somebody. <laughs> you know, have you been around them? And whenever we look at the scriptures that we're going to look at, we want to highlight a few points that I hope will help us to understand what an impressive love looks like, what an influential love looks like. The word love means affection or benevolence. It's agape. And we understand and we're familiar with agape love, how it is that unconditional love that God has for us, that it is a choice of the will that to, in order to, to serve and to minister to the needs of those people that can't help themselves. Whenever we look at love this morning, I want us to highlight the understanding of love and benevolence. That whenever we love, we love as the Apostle John said, not in word and tongue, but in deed and truth. Love in action. Love that produces deeds that bless the lives of other people. And it's something that's done in truth with a sincere, genuine heart. The first verse that we want to look at is in 3 John chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 3 John is the only chapter. <laughs> Where John writes and says, For I greatly rejoice when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Now the you that he's talking about is a man by the name of Gaius. And Gaius was an impressive individual. So much so that after people had been in his presence, they left talking about him. And so what we see here is a man who is being an example to the believers. He's living impressively. He is having an influence. He is making an effect in the lives of other people, so much so that he was being talked about. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved Gaius, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. And so whenever we look at Gaius, and we'll look at the text here in just a moment that talks about his love, but the first thing that's noted about what he did is that he did it faithfully. Gaius was a trustworthy individual. Gaius was someone that you could count on. Gaius was someone that whenever you were there, you knew what to expect. And he goes on to say, who have borne witness of your love before the church. And so these people that were in the presence of Gaius, whenever they left, they went around bearing witness of his love. It was a trustworthy love. It was a faithful love. People knew that they could depend upon Gaius. And that's one of the things about an influential love is that it is a faithful love. People know that you're going to be there to love them and people know that you're going to do 
what love constrains us to do. And so you have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. Because they have went forth for His name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. And so He was faithful in His love. And a lot of times when we read verses in the Bible, and we'll look at some this morning, that commends love, generally every time love is commended in these people, their faith is also mentioned. Love and faith. And so it's a dependable love. And he goes on to say, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God. I thought that was an interesting statement. You see, these brethren and these strangers that were passing through, Gaius was taking them in. They knew he was someone who was dependable, someone they could count on, someone that was trustworthy. And so as they passed through, they encountered Gaius, and Gaius would minister to them. And he would serve them faithfully. He would be benevolent to them as a manifestation of His love. And then He would send them forward on their journey. Now to send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God doesn't just mean send them out the door and say, God, speed. But the statement to send someone forward on their journey encompasses everything that was involved with their interaction with each other from the time that they got to Gaius to the time that they walked out the door. So they came in from a journey, Gaius ministers to them and offers benevolence to them, and then he sends them out the door. And so it has reference to his action and the aid that was given to them, and we find here that John characterizes this as a manner worthy of God. Now he says it conditionally, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will will do well. But Gaius, I think, was already doing that. And so John makes this statement to emphasize and to underscore what he was doing. And so in our love to be influential, in our love to be impressive, whenever we look at Gaius' example, the first thing we want to do is know that we need to be dependable. We need to be trustworthy. People need to know that they have somebody that loves them, will be there for them, and will use the resources and the ability that they have to minister to their needs. And that we will do it in a manner worthy of God. That whenever people walk away from our presence, we want them to be impressed not with our hospitality, not with our goodness, not with our benevolence, but we want them to walk away being impressed with the goodness and the graciousness of God. If they walk away not praising Gaius, not praising Ty, not praising Jay, but praising God. And the commendation of your love to someone and the commendation of my love to someone is just simply a reflection of our relationship with the God that creates that love within us. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 2 to 3, the Thessalonians were a group of people that had an impressive love. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love. So there's the connection there between faith and love again. And the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God our Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. And so this was a type of love that people gave thanks for. 
This is a type of love that people remembered without ceasing. Can you remember instances in your life where you were in need, where you were in want, where you were in hurt and you were distressed, and someone ministered to you on that occasion and you, just, and you say to them, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. It was an impressive love, wasn't it? That you thank God for the love and the faith of that person. And whenever Paul prayed for the Thessalonians and he thanked God for the Thessalonians and he remembered the Thessalonians, the thing about their love that he thanked God for and the thing about their love that he remembered was their labor. Was their labor. The word labor means to toil. It means to experience pain, to experience trouble, to experience weariness. This type of impressive and influential and effectual love is not a love of convenience, but rather it is a love that moves someone to expend their strength and expend their energies in the love and the service of other people. Love is hard. Impressionable love, influential love, is something that requires effort. And the Thessalonians, evidently, in the circumstance that they were in, as we'll look at here in just a moment, love to the point of weariness. It just wore them out. So again, it wasn't a love of convenience, but rather it was a love that took them beyond the measures of their strength. And that's impressive love, isn't it? That's impressive love. When you see people going beyond the resources that they have, whether it's financially, whether it's materially, spiritually, physically, but they expend their energies in the service of other people. That makes an impact. When I'm going to do without so that someone else can have. When I'm willing to stay up all night and sit with that that grieving brother or that hurting sister. When I'm willing to make sacrifices in order to do good for others, that's what's impressionable. And that's what the Thessalonians did. Has your love ever moved you to labor for someone? That when you got through, it was just, wow. That's the type of love of the Thessalonians. That's the type of love that's impressive. Not a love of convenience, but a love in which we expend our energies and we labor and we take our lunchbox and we go to work and we toil for other people. Again, he talks about the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. The Thessalonians' love was an abounding love. And we just got through looking in the text prior to that that their love was a love of labor where their energy was expended. But even though they loved in a way that expended their energy, it seems like as they loved, their love grew more and more, as Paul says here. That it, it abounded. It meant to do, to make, or to be more, and to increase. 
that as they labored and expended physical and spiritual and emotional energy, it didn't make their love less and less and less, but rather because of the circumstance, it made their love abound grow and grow more and more. And we read in verse number 4, "...so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure." And whenever you read in Acts, the Thessalonian Christians, they met opposition. Paul met opposition and they were confronted with persecution and tribulation. And in the midst of that persecution and tribulation, rather than their love waxing cold, rather than their love decreasing for each other, their love increased. That's an influential love. That in the midst of crisis, that in the midst of trial, that in the midst of difficulty, your love grows. You know, when I think about impressive love, I think about a husband and a wife where one of the spouses, maybe because of illness or accident or something, uh, becomes in a situation where they can't take care of themselves. And then you see that other spouse step up with a devotion and an abounding of their love that you look at and you just think, I hope I have people that love me like that. Or you look at it and you say, if I'm ever in that situation, I hope I can love the way that person loves. But an influential and an impressive love is a love that doesn't shrink during tribulation. It doesn't shrink during trial. It doesn't shrink during crisis. But rather it is something that increases. That increases. And the Thessalonians had that type of love. They worked themselves to death. They labored in their love. But rather than their love decreasing in their labor, their love just simply grew more and more and more. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 3-8, through 8, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all saints. And you see, whenever we look at all of these commendations of love, again, notice the object of the love. It's other saints. Now, it's commendable to see husbands and wives love each other. It's commendable to see parents loving their children. And that's commendable and that can be impressive and influential. And it should be impressive and influential. But what Paul is emphasizing is the love that the saints have for each other. Because, you know, it's easy to love my wife. <laughs> She's my wife. It's easy to love my children. They're my children. But sometimes with saints, it might be a little difficult because we don't have that earthly familial connection. But we make the choice to love each other in honor of the blood of Jesus that makes us family. It's a God-honoring love to all of the saints. And he says, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also to all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew of the grace of God. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. 
You see, there's Gaius. And then there's the Thessalonians and there's the Colossians that whenever people were in their presence, they just walked away talking about the love of these people. And that should be our hope as a congregation. That should be our hope as individuals. That when people are in our presence, that we are impressive and influential in their lives to such an extent that whenever they walk away, they say, man, those people at College Park, they know how to love. They know how to love. Those people at Wheeler Avenue and Fort Smith, they know how to love. You ought to go by there. And I wish you would. <laughs> you ought to go by there. Or you go into some family's home and you walk away thinking, man, you go back, you know, I'll go back home, man. You, you just ought to see the love that's in the Fleming home. You ought to see the love that's in the Lowry home. You ought to see the love. And you just talk about it because it's impressive. That's the type of love that Paul is talking about here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And so whenever we look at these examples of impressive and effective and influential love, it was a love that was talked about. It was a love that, was, that, that God was thanked for. It was a love that came from people who were faithful, who were trustworthy. People who were going to expend their energies and go as far as they could in order to serve and help those that they were ministering to. Get that back around. That it was a love that abound. It was a love that increased and grew during times of crisis and tribulation. That's the type of love that stands out and impresses people. That's the example that we should set. That's the example that gives credibility to us whenever we tell other people you need to love one another. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, For you, brethren, having been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's a love of service. It's a love and a benevolence. Is that the type of example that you're sitting? Is that the type of example that I'm setting? Do we have that type of love that whenever people are in our presence, they walk away and say, I want to love like that. I want to love like that. <clears throat> Next, we're looking at being an example in spirit. In other words, we want people to walk away from us and say, I want a disposition like that. The word spirit has many different meanings depending on the context. This is the, the Greek word that it comes from. It is character as Invisible and manifested only in one's own actions. And the word that I chose to talk about is our character or our disposition. Just kind of our, our, our mental and uh, emotional makeup in how we approach life and what we manifest in our deeds and in our words and in our actions. Now just as a side note, whenever you look in some translations, spirit is not mentioned. In the English Standard Version, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the, set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. Spirit is not mentioned there. And in the New American Standard Bible, it's left out there. In studying this word, some commentators said that it wasn't in the original language, that it was something that was added later. 
But whenever we look at other versions like we're using, the King James Version, the New King James Version, it is included. And so we're going to address it this morning because the Bible has a lot to say about our spirit. And plus it's on our t-shirt. The Bible has a lot to say about spirit. And in fact, I've got a sermon that I thought there might be some overlap here. But it's important for us to understand the power of our disposition in our spirit. There's a certain type of spirit that we as Christians need to have. And it needs to be a spirit, again, that when people are in our presence, it's influential. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, Paul, or Peter says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. And so in this context, Peter is talking to wives that have unbelieving husbands. And he's saying, wives, in your attempts to win your husbands, let the power of your spirit, let the power of your disposition be the influential factor. Even though he's not a Christian, you still be submissive. And you manifest a type of spirit. You don't look at him, well, you're not a Christian, so I don't have to submit to you, and I'm going to preach to you, and I'm going to bear down. He said, no, you don't do that. You have a certain type of spirit. And he said that that type of spirit is a gentle and quiet spirit. The word gentle means to be mild and humble. And the word quiet means to keep one's seat undisturbed. You know, we live in a world today where mildness and calmness is, you just, I mean, people get in an uproar, the drop of a hat. And I think one of the most effective ways that we as Christians can shine our light today is that while everybody else is just getting in an uproar about everything, we're good. We're good. When others shout, I don't have to shout. When others rage, I don't have to rage. But I have a disposition about me that is gentle and quiet. And we can stand out in this culture We can stand out in this culture. We can get people's attention through the demonstration of the proper spirit. And notice here that Paul, Peter says it's very precious in the sight of God. And I know that he's speaking in the context of of wives in relation to their husband. But I think that statement about being precious in the sight of God is that a gentle and a quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God whether it's a man or a woman. God likes to see His people humble. He likes to see His people undisturbed. He likes to see His people living in a restful confidence that He's in control. He's in control. This is the disposition that Jesus emphasized. 
in inviting people to come to Him. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls. There again, there's that precious spirit. Jesus had that precious spirit that Peter talked about that wives are to have. The word gentle here means to endure all things with an even temper. In the King James Version, it's meek, and it's usually translated meek in a lot of places in the King James Version, where he says, I'm meek and lowly in heart. It means that I endure all things with an even temper, that though all the world is raging as a Christian, I'm good. I'm good. And whenever people are in a disturbed way, and then people are shouting, and people are getting worked up in a raucous I'm not going to elevate myself and I'm not going to try to exalt myself to challenge all of that. I'm going to stay humble. I'm going to stay humble. Because I know that my influence is going to be a lot greater when I'm meek and lowly than when I'm raging and loud. And as Christians, we've got to understand that. Sometimes we get caught up in the rah-rah of the culture. And we hear the hateful voices of opposition out. And then we begin to speak truth. But the disposition in which we speak that truth undermines the truth that we're trying to speak. Really, we sound no different than them. We're just saying something different. And sometimes we think, well, since I'm on the right side of the issue, my loudness and my raucous attitude is justified. No, it's not. We lose credibility. We want to maintain that gentle and that humble spirit. Oh, well, that's weakness. You think Jesus was weak? You think Jesus was weak? It takes a lot more strength of spirit to be able to endure bad things with an even temper than it does to get mad when everybody else gets mad and to rage when everybody else rages. Because then we're being affected by what's going on out beside of, or out around us. But somebody that's able to keep an even temper in spite of the circumstances around them shows an inner strength that very few people possess today. Go to a little league ball game. <laughs> and so it's understand, understandable that we, are, we need to understand the importance of manifesting this spirit. Ephesians 4, 1-2, I beseech you therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness. Kind of like we see faith and love a lot of times together in the Scriptures. You're going to see love and gentleness, or rather lowliness and gentleness together. With long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And he goes on to talk about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Sometimes endeavoring to keep unity, we become even more divisive because of our disposition. And Paul says, be lowly, be gentle. Colossians 3 and verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, and meekness and long-suffering. Don't allow the things of this world to get you worked up. 
to where you sound no different and I sound no different than everybody else. Because it's not just what we say that distinguishes us from the people of the world, but it's how we say it. It's the disposition that we manifest. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 to 26, Paul tells Timothy, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. In this instance where Paul is talking about teaching those in opposition to God, he underscores the type of spirit that we need to have whenever we do that. He says to be gentle to all, able to teach. And the word able to teach or the word able that he uses there doesn't mean that you have the knowledge base to teach other people, but you have the disposition to teach other people. The word able that he uses means fit to teach. Fit to teach. And if I'm arrogant and not humble, if I'm raging and not meek, I can get up here and pound on this podium and beat my head on this podium and spew out the truth all day long, but I'm not an able teacher because my disposition is all wrong. Who wants to listen to that? Who wants to hear that? Yeah, it's true. But in order to get people to hear the truth, you first of all have to get them to hear you. And the way you get them to hear you is by having the disposition that Paul is talking about here. Be patient and be humble. And again, let me get on my soapbox here for just a moment. (laughs) Your social media, folks... I look at the social media of some Christians and I don't see people that are gentle. I don't see people that are patient. I see people speaking with the same anger and vitriol that their enemies are speaking with. But they think they're justified because their message is true. They're not justified. It undermines the message. We have to make sure that in every venue of our life, we manifest a disposition that's going to be inviting to people. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly in heart. And I always get this. Yeah, but Jesus threw over the tables at the temple. So didn't he get angry too? Yeah, he did. You know what? He's Jesus and I'm not. He's Jesus and I'm not. Jesus can see the hearts of men. Now, do we want to be zealously affected whenever we see uh, riot assaulted? We do. And aren't we supposed to be bold? And aren't we supposed to fight the good fight of faith? We are. But in fighting the good fight of faith, we do it with the warfare that's laid out for us. With gentleness, with meekness, and with humility. Again, not that we're weak people but rather because we're strong people and we live in the confidence that God is in control. And again, isn't that impressive to you? When you see people like at work, whenever people, everybody's clamoring and everybody's all in an uproar and you're just sitting there, okay. 
be the cool person. <laughs> be the cool person. Because nowadays, the cool person, the calm person, the mild person, the gentle person, the meek person is the person that stands out. And that's the person that the world needs. That's the person that the church needs. Be that person. So that whenever people are around you, they say, I want a disposition like that. I want to be like that person. So I hope as we look at love and spirit that we'll all be challenged to set that example, to set that, that love, that love that is trustworthy, that love which will weary and work yourself to death, that love which will grow in times of crisis and difficulty and persecution, that love that will rise to the occasion. And it will have the type of spirit that that spirit, though everybody else around us is clamoring, I'm standing here and I'm gentle and I'm humble because I have a security in my heart from knowing that God's in control. God doesn't need me to yell and scream in order for His will to be fulfilled. He needs me to manifest the Spirit of Christ.